the Jewish Divorce Project. Because marriage doesn't always work out and chicken soup doesn't always help. Welcome, Susan. We have an amazing Perfect. guest with us today. I'm so excited to have Susan Godois with us. And Susan is a licensed therapist based in San Francisco Bay Area with expertise in helping couples connect, reconnect, or disconnect in a healthy way. In 2006, Susan began helping couples shape what became known as the parenting marriage. Since then, Susan has helped dozens of couples transition their marriage from a love-based union to one in which raising happy, healthy kids are the primary focus. Books Susan has written include the San Francisco Chronicle bestseller, Contemplating Divorce, The Parenting Marriage Workbook, and The New I Do, co-authored with Vicki Larson. Mm. Welcome to the Jewish Divorce Project, Susan. Yeah, it's good to see you guys. I actually have another book that you didn't mention. Whoa. <laughs> is this oh, not in print yes. anymore? What book no, it's not. So I don't even remember how I came across you at some point. I think I took one of your workshops webinars a few years ago when I started working in the divorce field and I bought this book. It's mm. called Stronger Day by Day. Mm. And I just loved it. It's a daily affirmation and journal exercise to just do post-divorce and I can't believe it's no longer in print. But look at that. I know. Yeah, it's it's basically a meditation book uh, in bite-sized pieces for people because when you're divorcing, you really can't take in a whole lot. So anyway, um, I know I'm sad. I feel like it's my child that, you know, isn't being put out in the world anymore. So what are you going to do? Well, if people can yeah. find some contraband old copies Black market. Um, it's it's a great. Sounds like a fantastic yeah. book to have by your nightstand if you're going through divorce. It and actually it helps with a lot of different grief as well. So mm -hmm. I have found yes, I had to read it myself once. My mother said, "You know, you should really read your own book," and I did, and it really? helped. <laughs> if, so, if I can just interject yeah. here with something, and I, and I don't mean to steal the show or or take focus off Susan or anything, but just in terms of what you said about having something by which to process the grief, right? Having a mm -hmm. book in and of itself is a really useful tool. And again, the point I want to interject with is that I just came back from this um, weekend long, this four day Jewish divorce retreat, the first ever of its kind. And the thing that was really obvious about it is that everyone's got something to share and there's really no vessel for that. So to create a vessel, whether it's in a book or in a retreat by which people can come and share what's going on right? The things that they want to say to their friends, but their friends don't necessarily understand, or the friends don't have the capacity to really give them that type of compassion or attention that they really need, right? And to be able to identify with other divorced people, right? And to know that someone else feels what you're going through, understands what you're going through, again, either in the form of a book or in the form of a retreat is immense. And so creating something like that is a really wonderful, useful tool that more people should take advantage of. Oh, well, Thank you. I agree. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. So Susan, it seems like you've amassed quite a few resources for couples at different stages of their journey, right? And I think one of the biggest fallacies 
in our society or culture is this idea of marriage looks like what relationships look like one thing. And, you know, once you fall in love, you fall in love and then it kind of sticks. <laughs> and it, that is very much not true. And you've taken that to the next level of even marriage doesn't have to look the, the way that we expect marriage should look. So maybe yeah. you could share with us this concept of parenting marriage, because I think it's so interesting Ooh. and really such a break from it really like, breaks your brain a little bit. <laughs> so tell, yeah, tell us it's out of the norm. We have a one size fits all model right now. And, you know, love is all you need. And we, you know, things like monogamy and till death do you part are part of, we don't even question. And um, I started working with the parenting marriage sort of by mistake in 2006 or seven with a couple. But I will say when I was researching the book with Vicki, The New I Do, we came across seven different alternatives that are actually being practiced, um, including the parenting marriage. Um, and so, yeah, what, what this idea is, is basically parents who their romantic connection is gone. And usually when that happens in a relationship, we say you have to get divorced, right? And so people just get divorced. But meanwhile, they're, they were great co-parents. Um, you know, they have to split up the house. It's there are other. So I, I liken marriage to a corporation and there are a lot of different departments. And just because one department isn't working doesn't mean you close the corporation. And this is a hard concept for some people because, you know, it's hard to go from a love-based marriage to a purpose-based marriage. Um, it's hard to, you know, watch your spouse go off and date, for example. That's one of the advanced pieces of the parenting marriage. Uh -huh. But people do it. And it's it's been happening by default for, for lots of years. And what I'm proposing is people do this by design so that it feels good, not feels bad like you're doing something wrong so, so correct me if i'm wrong what the way this is different than an open marriage is that an open marriage is still the couple is still engaged in a romantic relationship and is opening it up to other sexual or romantic relationships part or partnerships and in a parenting marriage you're really shutting the door we are not in a romantic relationship we are not pursuing that we are business partners and then when we get to an advanced place, there's that possibility of having romantic partners, and that is a separate issue. Yeah. And in another way to say it is in a um, parenting marriage, the emphasis is on the kids. Yeah. And on in an open marriage, the emphasis is on sexual exploration. Yeah. Sometimes people are done with their sexual relationship, and that's why they're saying, look, I don't want to have sex with you, but you go ahead and and have sex yourself with someone else. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a very different um, primary purpose. Yeah. So, it, it, go ahead now. As, as far as I know, right? So open marriage is something that couples adapt to or that they evolve to, right? They've realized over time that there's sexual exploration they want to do outside the marriage. And so this is the agreement that they come to. It sounds like you're, what you're proposing is equally that, right? That a couple comes to a crossroads and then they say, OK, we need to shift now to what the purpose of this marriage, this union is for, because it's not for romance and it's not for love and it's for sex, but it is for parenting. And that's what we're going to primarily focus on, as opposed to starting that way from the beginning. Right. That this well, is something. 
I love that you're saying that one of the biggest surprises for me in writing the new I do was yeah. that uh, there are people now, younger people who are saying, we're going to start the marriage mm. as an open marriage, or we're only going to come together to have a child together. We're not going to have a love-based marriage. So mm. there are actually websites. One is uh, Mad Emily. One's called Pollen Tree. There's actually a lot of them around the world where you can actually go much like a dating site and find a parenting partner. So that is another type of parenting marriage. But the one that I focus on and the one people come to see me for is the one where their old marriage that they had is is no longer. Yeah. And I imagine there are lots of rules that go along with it, like with an open marriage as well, in terms of communicating and whatever else needs to be part of it so that each person feels like they're getting respected and. Yes, absolutely. I really encourage people to make agreements about things like who's going to have the kids when it's not unlike a divorce where you can set up different time that you spend with the kids. How are you going to treat your money? Um, Are you going to have a joint fund and then you each have individual. So it is, you know, Yes. So I call the parenting marriage the least bad option because it's a way that people can stay and feel good about being in the house and together. And um, they don't have to divorce, which feels bad. And they don't have to stay and feel stuck, which also feels bad. So it's a happy medium between the two. I have a million questions. Um, Two part question. I find as a therapist, one of the biggest challenges that happen in a marriage are the expectations that we have from the other person. And then those failed expectations lead to a lot of the conflict. In a parenting marriage, you're really taking away a lot of the expectations of how that other person should make you happy, make you feel loved. You're being really intentional about agreements and guidelines. And I'm wondering how often you see a romantic relationship re occurring (laughs) once you take away so much of that expectation does it kind of blossom on its own and also if not it seems like you've been doing this for quite a few years so what what Mm. what's the results what what does this look like for a couple who's been doing this 10-15 years um what have you seen in your practice over the long span of how this actually pans out over a few years time well ideally when when couples have come to terms with themselves that the marriage that they knew is over that's much easier for them to transition into a parenting marriage because they really have already let go they've already grieved they don't want to see their spouse as a sexual partner romantic partner so they can transition much more easily but it is tougher when one person really doesn't want to let go of that romantic-based model of the relationship. And they have to come to terms with this is the direction that they're going. Sometimes they can do it, just give it a little time and people can grow into it. Sometimes people have to take a time out basically and live apart for a little bit. I It's almost like rebooting your computer. And then sometimes people can't do it and, and they just simply cannot make the shift and they end up getting a divorce. But 
one of the things that I like about the parenting marriage is you're not really losing anything by trying it. You know, you can pivot back to the marriage, even if you feel like I had one couple that said, if we're going to work this hard, we're going to work on our romantic marriage. And but you can you can exit into a divorce and someone called it a soft landing which I love that because you're already acting like you're divorced in many ways. And you can also live with a parenting marriage indefinitely. So it's it's a way of life. It can be a transition or it can actually be an option for people. And then the the look back, like what, what does this actually look like for couples who, who have been doing this for 10, 15 years? Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, I um, I don't have a lot of data on that yet because it's a newer concept. Um, what what I can tell you is from the people who have said that they've been living this way, um, you know, for a long time by default, when they find the parenting marriage concept, they say, oh, my gosh, this is great because we've already been doing this and it helps validate what we've been doing. Um, there's a, a couple that I interviewed for the new I do that has is still living this way. And they just found that it works and we get to enjoy our home. We get to have the same friends. We don't have to split finances. And so they've really enjoyed it. So uh, what I have seen from people looking back is if they go on to divorce, they're really grateful that they had this interim step because it it helped them as well. It do, doesn't only help, uh, help the kids, it helps them transition mentally and emotionally. So I, I hope that answers that question for you. Yeah. Um... And is this something that you, if you have a couple that comes to you kind of at the end of the marriage, they, they're trying to work on it, but at some point it seems clear, do you really push the parenting marriage? This is a good, like, this is the, this is really the next step, or is it one of the things that's on the buffet of options? Yeah, I would never push this uh, option on anybody, but I do like to tell people about it because I feel like if I didn't, that would that would potentially be unethical because I know about this great option that can work. Um, but I do push a little bit back on if someone says, no, that sounds bizarre. I don't want to do it. And I'll say something like, well, if you knew that every other house on your block, people were living like this, would that make a difference? Because a lot more people are living like this than you may realize. And it is more common. So people think, you know, okay, yeah, I get it. Um, but I don't ever try to make somebody try it. Um, I, I can suggest that they set up some of the agreements, much like you would in, in divorce, if they're transitioning. So I say you can do a parenting marriage for two months. So it's it's something that's very flexible. And that case, I might suggest that they do the agreements and set the goals, which are things that I have in the workbook. But if someone says no way, then I'm I'm fine to just keep moving and talk about if they want to talk about divorce or if they want to talk about working on the marriage. So, and at at what point, if any, are kids involved in the conversation of what this is? 
I love that question too. Um, they don't have to even be involved. So parents can transition to a parenting marriage and not necessarily share that with the kids. What they might say is, we're just going to spend a little bit less time together. And you might notice that we spend time individually with you. Just wanted to let you know that's going to happen. And so you don't have to make a big deal about it. But you also can say to your kids, we're going to do a parenting marriage because we've realized that we don't get along as well as we used to. And we think that this is going to help us get along better. So there are lots of ways that you can introduce it and you also don't have to. You can just change your lifestyle and the kids will notice that you're getting along better. Uh-oh. Sorry, that was me. Oh. <laughs> it's very a matter of fact what you're proposing, right? And I love that, the idea that like you've just kind of observed as a mature couple that the love has been lost, but there is still a functional element of your relationship, of your family that requires taking care of and being mature enough to look past that and to say, this is just what we have to do. Uh, I'm curious, you know, you're working with a couple and they decide to go this route, right? It's not even pre-divorce or anything like that, right? That's not even in the picture, but they just discover that this would be a, a method that would be appropriate for their relationship. You know, let's say they're, I don't know, three months in, six months in, something like that. What are some of the things that they report back to you? Do they report back successes? Do they report back challenges that they're finding, right? What are some of these things that you're hearing from them in the midst of all of it? Well, I think, and that's a great question too. I think that um, one of the most difficult aspects of the transition is if there are resentments that have been festering for a while, they don't necessarily go away just because you're calling it something different. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people do come in to work on untangling some of those resentments that they have had. I have a couple in the East Bay that just simply could not get beyond their resentment. So they ended up getting a divorce. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it does take emotional maturity to do a parenting marriage. It's not something that every couple can or should do. And in fact, I actually rule people out. I think um, I define emotional maturity as increasing your tolerance for discomfort. Mm. So that means being able to sit with yeah. difficult emotions yeah. and not act out from those difficult emotions. So um, being able to tolerate something like, you know, you don't have the same connection. This this option requires a lot of gray area thinking instead of the black and white. So that is hard for some people. But if there's any kind of addiction going on or abuse, mm. um, anything that involves uh, lack of trust, mm -hmm. I don't think this is a great option for people. So an example also would be if if they're doing the parenting marriage because there was a betrayal, mm. um, you know, working that through before, you know, deciding what to do, people can do a parenting marriage until they know what they want to do. So I had a woman who called it putting the pause button on and uh, gave her a chance to decide what she wanted to do. Um, mm. before nice clean separation. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is there, any, is there anything else that would rule somebody out to emotional immaturity? Was that the word you used? Yeah. I mean, I think that there are certain personality disorders, um, narcissistic personality disorder, uh, borderline. Those can really be tough, again, because one of the foundations in the parenting marriage is to have trust and emotional maturity and as we know, some of those uh, personality character disorders, they're not the most mature, you know, set of uh, behaviors. So it's tougher. It's not to say it's impossible. There's also mental illness such as uh, bipolar. If someone's medicated or if they're in recovery, there's no reason why people can't try this. But if someone's still very much in an addiction or very much in their illness, it's going to make it so much harder to do this. And it right. might might actually cause more harm. Sometimes it is better for people to just part ways. And the big question that everybody's always interested in is the romantic relationship. Noam mm. says that those are our favorite, our most downloaded podcasts. So they when are. we talk about <laughs> the juicy romantic Ugh. Stuff. animals uh, they're all animals <laughs> what the masses want let's give what them give, let's give them what they want and so that's what have you found i guess what you call the more advanced levels of um people starting to date other people because there is still a need for even if you say okay we're going to focus on the more practical pragmatic aspects of this how do you get those emotional or sexual needs met yeah, so it's very tricky, and um, I try very hard to have people not even think about this until they're well into their parenting marriage agreement. But of course, we know that doesn't always work <laughs> you know, so nice and tidy. Um, but when people start to date, I just think it's very important that they have shared expectations about what the rules are. So for example, um, kids will never meet your partner, you know, or I have to meet this person before the kids do. Um, some, a lot of people have a don't ask, don't tell. Um, and that seems to, to work. I had one adorable couple where the, the woman went out to a, a date and she didn't come home. And the husband was like, so what happened? And she just said, I'm not going to even answer you. And and later he said, thank you for not answering me because I really don't want to know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it can be tricky. I want to just mention that there's so many cultures around the world where they are more open about um, different configurations of relationships, not even just marriage. Um, and so I think as you know, we're getting to this age where gender isn't binary anymore and relationships are starting to look like a continuum rather than, you know, one thing or the other. And so I think that younger people coming up are going to take to this much more easily than some of us who've been fed the, the old script. So, well, it seems like the old script is it's all or nothing, right? That's yeah. just what it is. Right. right. You get married and you have kids or you end up being single and shunned forever. And there's got to be a way of doing it in between. And 
people have been proving that ever since not only the sexual revolution, but the feminist movement, right? That there are any number of different ways of being and living your life and having your relationships. And this is a wonderful new clarified step for people to say, we can still be parents together, right? That yeah. love is really just a function of all this and doesn't have to be there in order for this to be successful. That's really beautiful. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, Stephanie Coons, who's a historian, she wrote a book called Marriage, a History. She said, we have raised the bar so high for marriage because this person's supposed to be your lover, your financial partner, your co-parent, your social mate. I mean, all these places that you're supposed to have this person be the one. We've raised the bar so high that almost no one can get over it. And we make everyone wrong who can't. Mm -hmm. And And it's just a... I, I just feel like people try so hard to contort themselves to fit this model. And my point is, I think we need to take away the shame when it doesn't work and make marriage and relationship fit us instead of the other way around. Amen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that also seems to be like part of the shift that I've seen a lot. You know, you talk about, um, well, parents stay together for the kids right? Being in a loveless marriage and resentful of one another and yelling at each other on a regular basis, but staying together for the kids because it's so essential that the kids have a, you know, a healthy, unified, whole family unit that they can come home to at the end of the day and go to sleep and have nice dreams. Right. And that, you know, that's really, there's a lot of pressure in that. There really is. It's unfortunate. Um, but when you provide space for people to act differently, then things start to open up. And it seems like the shift has been, rather than stay together for the health of the family, right, or for the sake of the kids, the focus is now shifted to let's break up for the sake of the individuals, because that's ultimately what matters, whether it's the health of the mother, or the health of the father in a heteronormative relationship, right, or health of any one of the parents, but particularly also the health and the well-being of the kids, then maybe divorce really is the best option possible there. Certainly, if parents, that's actually, thank you for bringing that up, because if parents are going to stay together and fight, that's actually the worst thing that they can do for the kids. Right. If they want to, the yeah, I mean, if they want to do the best thing for their children, the best thing is when parents aren't fighting. One of the ironies of this option is I find that when people let go of the romantic expectations of their partner, and as someone put it, I'm no longer responsible for all of your happiness. Mm. Um, then they actually become friends and they they're amazed at how much better they get along. And again, that doesn't happen for everyone, but it does happen for quite a lot of the people. Yeah. So don't stay and fight. That's the worst thing. Yeah. What I, what I love about this model is what you called that soft landing and that even if it doesn't work, it starts a conversation that divorce can look different than what we we have expectations of how divorce should look the same way we have expectations of how marriage should work. And I find that so often people feel they need to justify a divorce. And so their ex has to be evil to justify it because marriage is so important that if I'm going to break up this family, it needs to be worth it. This person can't be livable with it. They're so terrible. And this shifts the conversation into there's different ways to divorce. And um, the first time I actually heard of this idea was in Esther Perel, one of her earlier podcasts of where should we begin? There was a couple that was a divorce that came to her and they 
they didn't live together, but they vacationed together. Neither of them were dating other people when they vacationed. They had one child. They would stay in the same room. And she said, you know, you guys still have, you're still in a marriage. <laughs> it's just a different kind of a marriage. And right. it was a very powerful statement. It's like this. of You're still in, you're still in this relationship. You're just you've changed you've yeah. changed the format the boundaries and and you're making it work for you and, and that was Absolutely. really powerful no i love that she said that and um you know she's an example of someone who because she's from europe she's got much right. more of an open mind of all the different ways that relationship can can be configured yeah well, it's funny too i remember in the early parts of my career counseling young couples about how frustrated they were that their marriages had fallen into like this traditional heteronormative trap of the husband goes out and brings home the bacon and the mom stays home or the wife stays home and takes care of the kids. And I was like, that really sucks. Right. But at least you're taken care of. Right. Like at least you've got your needs met. Like it might not be everything that you want it to be, but at least you've got this traditional, you know, set going on in your house. And yet like they could have been complaining about hundreds of other things that could have been better about their relationships or different, having absolutely nothing to do, or maybe even celebrating this traditional way that they had just kind of gone about their relationship. It's so funny how you bring that up and how like there are all these avenues that people don't see. Well, it's so true. And I, people, we don't like to not have choice. We, as human beings, we do best when we have options and we feel empowered. So if you are simply following the same script, you're not going to feel like, I think my parents, they got married young. They started having kids right away. Um, they did everything they were supposed to do. And yet I really think my mother probably didn't even want to be a mother. Um, it wasn't, it didn't bring out a whole lot of joy for her. She wasn't a cook, you know, she wasn't one of those kind of women that was a doting mother. She was a great woman, but you know, I don't think that was the path she really wanted. And she didn't have the choices that I did. I didn't get married for the first time until I was 43 and my husband was 45 and we were, you know, the exception, neither of us had been married. We didn't have children. Uh, but all through my 30s, people were saying, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you married? Um, as if there's something wrong because I'm not married. Right. So very shame-based. I right? grew up Keep... yeah, so go ahead. in an Orthodox home. And people were saying that about my sisters when they were 25. <laughs> what is wrong with her that she is not married yet at 25? Right. You're so far behind everyone. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and, and I like it felt so real. And now as I look back, I'm like, I can't believe that they were talking like that, that that was the energy in our home of this like disaster despair of, oh my God, we have these 25 year old, 25 and a 24 year old girls who are not married. And now it's so laughable because they're so young. Old spinsters. Yeah, that spinsters. is so and it's also that thing of you're making me look bad. Go out and get married, right? Like you're <laughs> Yes. And right. if we were doing our job right, you would be married by now. So uh, I don't know if you've ever watched that Indian matchmaking show. It's so fun. You should totally watch it. I've been told because I've what been told the it, it, there's a lot of similarities in the Orthodox matchmaking oh, yeah. world as well. So yes. uh, I have I have it's on the list at some point. Well, what's so special about the show, Susan? I just love watching the 
there's they have a combination of the older couples who've been together forever and these were arranged marriages which i just want to say again we made marriage up there the indian culture made it up differently you know there's a na culture in china who has a completely different way to do family so we made it all up but they interview these people who were matched up together they've been together for 60 years and they just have come to love each other and then they also show these younger couples who are being matched and they use a matchmaker and uh it's just so interesting to see because the dilemma of is it okay for me to not love this person romantically and be attracted or you know how do i hold this because i'm being told I have to be with a certain kind of person. And so, you know, is this person enough? Because they're conflicted with the romantic model. Right. Right. So I think times were easier when we had no choice, right? We we had to do it this one way. When we have choice, I mean, even though we, so here's the thing about choice. We need some choice, but not too much. Right. But it does make life more complicated also when we do have choice, because then we decide, yeah, how we want to be. And marriage is a lot about choosing the partner that you're with on a regular basis. It's not about choosing from all these different options that you have about the uh, uh, the American puritanical model that we have is you've chosen this person for life. You've locked it down. Right. You've given them a ring or a dowry of some kind that says I've purchased you in some way. You belong to me. Right. There's an arrangement that we have going both directions. And so choice isn't really a part of that. Right. There's when you think of choice, you also think of betrayal or or disloyalty. Right. Because someone has chosen opposite than you. And so when you remove that in there in some way, or at least you allow that choice or, or remove that negative energy from choice, a lot changes in there. So true. Absolutely. Again, well, feeling stuck is a horrible feeling. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, and I have no, I noticed more of what you're saying in terms of we like choice, but we don't like too much choice. Yeah. And especially when it comes to choice in relationships, it feels very like I'm supposed to choose the person that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Mm. There's this, it feels burdensome and interesting that you brought up a TV show, but I, a while back, I, I got really into the um, Married at First Sight show. Have you mm-hmm. seen it? Oh and Yeah. But so it, the premise for anyone who hasn't heard is that it's it's you know thirty year old professionals around that at that age of people somewhat successful at life who really want to be partnered and just haven't had luck finding somebody and there's a team that is set up a therapist a pastor a social worker who look at all the, the submitted resumes and they choose your partner and you meet for the first time at the altar and you have to live together for a month and at the end of the month you can decide to stay together or to stay married so intense and what i found so interesting in watching a few of of these shows was that most couples chose to stay together at the end of the month and most didn't make it past a year Mm. and i think it's very similar to the matchmaking culture where there's somebody else is taking that huge choice off of us. If there's a team of a therapist and a sociologist and a rabbi and a pastor, and they are experts and they've decided this person is a good match, then that's almost a relief of like, ah, they must know something I don't know, or there must be something here. And 
I'm going to stay in and I'm going to figure it out. And then most of them don't have the actual skills to make it work with a stranger. So they don't last past the year. But I thought that that was so interesting that I think that that choice is really hard. We want choice, but it is really conflicting for a lot of us of like, there's this choice is too big for me. And I think that's why the matchmaking world is successful in some ways, because people, it's just trust your parents, trust the culture, trust the tradition. It's a lot better than the algorithm on the apps, right? (laughs) That doesn't even exist to really bring you together, right? You just to take your day. But no, you actually brought up the point that you have to choose your partner every day. And uh, Margaret Mead, I think, was the one who said we really should be having a lot of different relationships. And Mm -hmm. one woman we interviewed said, I've had five different marriages, but they happen to be all with the same person. Yeah. So there's the the first, you know, romantic, more sexual, intimate marriage. Then you start having kids. And then there's that parenting time during your marriage. There's a, you know, getting older marriage. I mean, they're all different ways that life changes. Things get thrown at us. We have to recover from that. And sometimes people don't get on the other side of difficult tragedies or things that happen. COVID has been a huge stressor on marriage. So we have to be able to decide we want to stay with the person, you know, are they growing? I mean, how many times do we all see people grow apart? And that's not because someone, I hate that term, a failed marriage, um, people simply one grows this way, the other grows that way. That's actually a good thing, right? We want to encourage beings being human beings. Yeah, that's right. And just going on with your life. Of course, being in relationship, you do have to think about your partner when you're making decisions. But um, to feel stuck again is just such a um, it's life is short you know, and, and is that the choice that people want to make when they are are living out the rest of their lives? We, we are definitely in a new age of marital and family life. I mean, I think about my grandparents, my great grandparents, and you'll hear this time and time again, people say they, they got married for transactional reasons, for utilitarian reasons, right? It was about supporting each other through wealth and through property. And, you know, you get to my parents' generation, that's a little bit more about love and it's about property and it's about supporting each other. And now it seems like it's far less, at least I hope we've evolved to a society where it's far less, right, uh, out of a, a choice for property, right? It may be out of necessity for property or wealth or something like that, but less so out of choice for those things. And we choose to be with the people, I would at least hope, that we choose to be out of love, right? And so the the structure in and of itself needs to change. And, I, and I'm beginning to wonder if... Um, you, you know, given what you're bringing up in terms of there being a parenting, you know, marriage, you separate out the two, right? These are going to be the days that I parent. These are going to be the days that your parent, very similar to the co-parenting relationship that I read about in the New York Times a couple weeks ago, right? How this one woman had discovered the success of saying, you're going to take the kids on this weekend and I'm going to take the kids on this weekend and we're not going to interfere with one another. And so it makes me wonder if in the more utilitarian days of of marriage, of transactional relationships and whatnot, were those more geared towards creating family and sustaining family and, and raising kids because that's just what they existed to do, right? We're trying to perpetuate the family. So it needs to be something that stays together. Whereas now 
since we're focusing so much more on the health of the individual and the health of the relationship and love, right? Whoever heard of those things, right? <laughs> that like kids would seem to be a burden on that, right? And so I'm wondering now if like the certain conception that we have of marriage, of it needing to be one which you really do sustain a relationship with someone that is rooted in love, right? Is rooted in growing together and maturing together, right? Can it really handle kids? And is it meant to handle kids? Or are kids a natural competition to the idea of healthy family life? Right. I love that. If you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, I think marriage originally, uh, and it, they probably didn't call it marriage back in mm. the, you know, early primitive times, but, um, you know, people had to band together to survive. Right. So you do survival and then it feels safer to right. be with other people. Then you can focus on love when you feel safe on those lower levels. And then after love, you can focus on esteem. And then where we are now is being actualized that marriage, yeah. you know, it used to be that marriage helped you to become actualized. Now what we're finding is people are becoming actualized and then deciding to marry. Um, and, and where do we go from there? I think it's one of the reasons marriage doesn't last forever because people are saying, Hey, this is me more actualized. It's not in this relationship. It's over there. Um, and I really love that point of, can you imagine if we did have people who had parenting partners, they got along, they, took care of kids, and then they went over there to have their romantic relationship, which if you think about love as the basis, love is a fragile emotion, and you're building this huge, found, you know, like Company. building on top of this yeah. very, fragile, very fragile foundation. And there's a lot that So it doesn't it. really there's, make sense. There's a lot that yeah. tests it, too. Absolutely. But that whole thing about once, this is so cliche, once people start having kids, their connection, I mean, the the kids are getting more attention, um, they're too tired to have sex at the end of the day. I mean, there are just so many reasons that kids are a direct conflict with that romantic notion. Wow. I, yeah. So. so you really can blame the kids for the divorce. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is so interesting. Um, I have a, a wrap-up question. I know we talked a lot about parenting marriage, uh, but I think a lot of our listeners are already post that. I just thought it was such a fascinating idea to talk about. But I'd love to hear, how would you define a successful divorce? Hmm, interesting question. Well, I think that success is something that makes us feel good and like we have integrity with ourselves and that we haven't hurt somebody. And so I think, you know, a quote unquote successful divorce would be that people, you know, understand that they're not going to come out of a divorce feeling like things were fair. Mm -hmm. They joke in the divorce world that fair is that four letter word beginning with F that you shouldn't use. <laughs> so understanding that you're not going to come out of it feeling like that was a good experience, but being willing to give to your partner more than you really want to. So, um, you know, in a collaborative 
divorce, we talk about, are you willing to give more than the law would have you do? And if people say yes, then they're probably good candidates. And um, so I think that just maintaining that you want good things for your spouse, your ex, um, feeling good about your side of the street, that you've done what you could to make this a good process. I also want to say, I tell people all the time, you can plan for a divorce. You don't have to get a knee-jerk divorce. Mm. Because when people, let's say there was an affair and you say, okay, I can't be married to you, or there are many affairs, um, you file your paperwork and you get the divorce set in motion and emotions are still really high. And so if people can slow things down sometimes and map it out and say, okay, we're going to get divorced in a year. In that time, we're going to save money. We're going to do a lot of research to know what's our best option here. And we're going to keep our center. You know, that would, that would be amazing to be able to do that. And it's, it's not always possible. And I get that, but where it is, I think that's always good to talk to clients about. Yeah. When, when I see clients, who are struggling in a marriage and considering divorce, I stress divorce isn't an eject button. <laughs> you but, are going to still have a relationship with this person and it's going to be even harder. <laughs> they don't disappear from your life, but now you have to really try much harder um, to try and make something work because you need to figure out something. And I think that's also a misconception people have of this eject. I'm done with this person. Goodbye. Uh, shut that down. Yeah, absolutely. And I tell people how you start the divorce matters because you're setting the tone for how it's going to go. And if you go out and get a bulldog attorney, that means your spouse is going to get one too. And again, just sometimes slowing things down, saying, you know what? Emotions need to come down. The temperature needs to come down yeah. before moving forward. And so. you mentioned collaborative, and we have talked about collaborative here, so I'm going to plug it again. Um, if anyone listening is at the beginning stages, I highly recommend, I'm imagining, you're. are you a collaborative um, professional? I have been trained. I'm not practicing collaborative right now as a divorce coach, but yeah, I have okay. been trained. Well, look, there's just Google cloud collaborative divorce in whatever city you're in, and I recommend looking for a collaboratively trained lawyer it can completely change the process and the trajectory of your divorce. And I, I wish it was an option I, that I knew about um, when I was getting divorced. So I want to hear more about the Jewish divorce project. I had not heard of this. Well, that's the problem that we've been encountering. <laughs> We're of very grassroots. Well, <laughs> I can relate with the parenting marriage. So yeah, exactly. I get it. But, you uh, got yeah. the real grind and this is all part of the networking and the grinding of it. But we've done, a, a, it's been wonderful working with Sheva. This is our 56th episode, which wow. just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I was at a, a I was at a, a comedy show last night and afterwards there were drinks and I was talking with someone and they're like, what do you do for your hobby? And I said, you know, I, I podcast the Jewish Divorce Project, and and they were like, "How did you get that started?" And I said, "Well, Sheva and I actually met on Bumble. We met on a dating app. Right. <laughs> oh, how cool! Yeah. Okay." And then I said, "What? Why don't, why don't we start a podcast instead? Let's do that instead." <laughs> that, that is so funny. I love it. You and then our, the our first flag. Zoom call, Noam was like, "Is this a date or a business meeting?" Right. Uh, let's let's do a business. Like, I mean, I'm in Miami. I'm in, in Florida. And he's in, he's right, in right. California. 
Um, and then we really stuck with it. So the project idea, we called it project because we, we really did have ideas at the beginning to grow this into something as there really is a big need in the Jewish community for resources. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately and unfortunately, both Noam and I have our own careers and they've really picked up over the past few years. And, you know, the thing we've been able to commit to is the podcast, but not much more than that and not really even growing it so much. We kind of just put it out into the world and, and see what happens. So. It's got a good, it's got a good following. People seem to like it. I mean, if one thing that we've, you know, touched on is that people need this type of resource. And so is, you know, the extent that we can keep putting it out there and we've toyed around with the idea of doing groups or offering classes or something like that. But unfortunately we are a little too busy, but I think they'd be responsive if we'd offered it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, in, can you give me an example of something that the, now I'm interviewing you guys, um, <laughs> what the Jewish population deals with that is unique to the Jewish population when they're getting a divorce? We're, we're such a community-based system. Um, right. Also, within the Jewish community, there's a lot of variances of community. So there's far left, far right, you know, you have all the in-betweens. Noam and I also come from very different backgrounds yeah. in terms of the Jewish world. Mm -hmm. And so, but I think in general, there's such a strong concept of community. And that is what we come up with, come up against over and over again, is that struggle post-divorce to belong to the community because it's such a family-based, there's such a family value-based system that when divorce happens, it's where do I fit in? Where do my kids fit in? And that's a really big struggle is losing the community. Um, that was, and then I would, I would say that was one of the major themes or the underlying theme of the conversations that kept happening at this weekend was how people, people felt out of place within the Jewish community since the divorce. They didn't what? know if they could go back to the synagogue or where could they go back to or what social circles they fit into. Um, there's the idea of, do I also get the religious divorce, the get as well, right? There's the civil marriage and then the spiritual marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and can that be advantageous or should I just leave that as it is rather than interact with my ex? Um, and again, a lot about the needing to be seen and needing to be heard, right? People just having stories that they wanted to share that they didn't feel like and they should have felt like they had the Jewish community to go to, but they felt like they didn't. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and just that they're, you know, weird now towards the Jewish community. Look, we talked about grief at the very beginning and how that your book, you know, helps to process that grief. Um, in Judaism, and Shev and I have talked about this, when someone literally dies and there's a physical death, a loss of life, your home and fridge will be filled, right? With people just showing their love and either their presence or by giving you stuff to eat. That yeah. doesn't happen in divorce, right? Yeah. People run away. And even the yep. rabbis, the clergy people are at a loss for, how do I deal with this, right? What do I do for these people? Um, and I think some of it has to do with numbers too, like how many people are possibly getting divorced in a community at any given time to actually enable them to create some type of real community, right? right. Um, but there's a, 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 Sheva hit it on the head when she said it's about belonging to the community post-divorce because you need a space to go. Yeah, and more than that, it's it's really that because the Jewish the Jewish world is so value based on family. Yeah. You don't just lose community, but it's a really big identity shift of yeah. it's that what you talked about that failure is so strong because I mean my whole life was geared for like get married, get married, get kids, get married, get kids, and then when that falls apart, you your whole world falls apart, um, and that that is a really big struggle um, 
the Jewish world. A lot of similarities, you know, to to non-Jews, but um, but the emphasis on tradition and yeah, community absolutely. sounds like much, much and failure. That sense of failure. Yeah. I, I have failed in a big Shame. way. I'm so glad you guys are out there doing, you know, some work to my biggest passion around marriage and divorce is let's take away the shame. Let's let people have their individual experiences. So I really love that you're doing that. And just as a thought, because I'm so good at marketing for everyone else, um, except myself. No, I do. Um, But I've done a thing with the parenting marriage where people would come to a focus group and it's a one time it's sort of like a class but you know so that might be a way to get people to come where they're not making a big commitment yeah. but i have it's like a 2 hour thing and anyway it just it, so much good came out of that these people got to talk to other people doing the parenting marriage that mm-hmm. because that's another thing where you know can you really tell someone what you're doing in a parenting marriage but they got to talk to others and hear what their experience was and share. And it was just really so cool to see yeah. that happen. So, yeah, yeah, we, that is a great idea. And we, we, we should probably get more diligent. Yeah, put our heads we keep together. saying, you know, Oh, when thing, when life calms down, when life calms down and then, you know, life doesn't ever Never really come no, the date, do it. <laughs> <laughs> and Susan, thank you so much for this really, really interesting conversation you can find Susan on Instagram at Changing Marriage and at Facebook, Parenting Marriage. And is this a different Facebook? There's two Facebook groups, The New I Do. Mm-hmm. And she's got a couple of different books on Amazon. I highly recommend checking Susan out, following her for some of her sage wisdom and just this really new way of approaching a really, really hard challenge. Thank you so much, Susan, for joining us. Thank, well, you, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you. It was really great to meet you guys and, and great conversation. Thanks. Wonderful. It, you've been a wonderful guest. Thank you for all your wisdom and your generosity with your time. Uh, and friends, if you want to reach out to the Jewish Divorce Project, you can find us at the Jewish Divorce Project at gmail.com, the Jewish Divorce Project.com on the web and on social media at you guessed it, the Jewish Divorce Project on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> I, I I spaced out. Did, was there something you missed? No, I, I think I got all? everything. I think I okay, got you all got them. Yeah. Okay.